0: Welcome to the Healthy Rich Podcast, where we're talking with leaders and creators in finance, fintech, and beyond about how we can make money better for everyone. I'm your host, Dana Miranda, a personal finance educator and the founder of Healthy Rich, a platform for inclusive, budget-free financial education. My guest today is Lisa Rowan. I've known of Lisa for years in the writing world, and I met her officially when we were both staffers at the Penny Hoarder. I've always been envious of her ability to entertain and educate audiences, both through writing and speaking, because most of us have to settle for just one or the other. Now, Lisa is a senior staff writer covering consumer finance for Forbes Advisor, Previously, she was the Two Cents personal finance reporter at Lifehacker and a senior writer and on-air analyst at The Penny Hoarder. Her first book, Money Hacks, was released in 2020. Lisa Rowan, I'm so happy to have you. I'm really excited to finally reconnect in person um, and, and have this conversation. So um, I wanted to have you on because I, we both have kind of been working in the personal finance industry. Um almost a decade now, um, we kind of knew each other from the blog world for a little while, but really um, really came together and started working together through the Penny Hoarder in 2015. You might have started, mm-hmm. I think the same year, a little bit later. Yeah. Um, yeah, which was like, you know, one of the classic kind of personal finance, like individual one man's journey um, with money uh, turned, hundred million dollar kind of media company Um, and we kind of found ourselves in an industry then that was everyone was sort of skipping over the one man's journey kind of thing and wanting to be the big personal finance media company Um, that's kind of where I found myself when I got into freelancing after leaving the penny hoarder after four years Um, and I'm curious so you uh, left the penny hoarder and have worked for Lifehacker and also Forbes. And so you have kind of been um, on the staff side of a lot of personal finance sites and I've been on the freelance side. So we've seen a lot of what's going on in personal finance media. So I wanted to talk to you about what we've seen that has changed over the years um, and just kind of what that journey has looked like for you.
1: Yeah, it has been, I mean, what a journey. And thank you, by the way, for having me on the show. I am so excited to be on the show, especially in its its beginning days. Like, I'm actually more excited about the other people you're going to have on the show that I'm going to be able to listen to about their experiences, because when it comes down to it, I'm still very much into the one man's journey with money. And I'm like, can we go back to that? Like, I want to be able to do that. And it's it's, you know, thinking about when you and I first got started in the wide world of personal finance. Like, you have to think about the history of it. Like, it was right after or during the Great Recession. A lot of the things that we take for granted now were very new then. The Consumer Financial Protection Bureau was just getting launched. Uh, The CARD Act had just been signed. You know, um, the, the one thing I pick out from the CARD Act is that you used to be able to, on college campuses promote signing up for your credit card by handing out free t-shirts and other swag. And it was only in the past, I want to say, 13 years now that that hasn't been allowed. So when people our age were in college or before us, like th- that was just normal. And so we were getting into the personal finance industry as writers at the same time that the personal finance industry and the finance industry in general was having sort of a reckoning in terms of transparency, in terms of accessibility and it- It's been interesting to see that as that transparency has increased or as that perceived transparency has increased, uh, how sort of like our relationship with money has changed. Because I think when we were first coming out of those recessionary sort of times, it was all about hustling. It was all about making it work and like you bootstrapping, doing all the things to get by. And now that we're far enough removed from that. And we can see like, yeah, it was like an unprecedented period of financial struggle. But at the same time, maybe I don't have to get three jobs. Maybe it's not fair for me to have to have three jobs to get by. And like rethinking all of those systems that I think when I first got started writing about personal finance, I thought that was the norm. You know, you just get another job. You just sacrifice. And I don't I don't necessarily agree with all of that anymore. Um, But just to see the evolution over time and how the financial industry has changed over time we've really seen a lot yeah absolutely and it it's
0: it's interesting to think because i knew absolutely nothing about personal finance um, or finance and money in general um, before i started writing about it and so all of the things that i learned are really like you were saying things that i've just taken for granted um, yeah. And probably a lot of things that like people our age as as millennials, mid to elder millennials, um, as, every, as we sort of came online as adults and started learning about mm-hmm. money, this is the world that we learned. And so these are the things yeah. that we kind of knew. It was always odd to me to hear about people talking about um, the kind of predatory like credit card, signing up for a credit card on a college campus. Like I would still see kind of. Uh, I would see that mentioned every once in a while in advice, yeah. like, oh, that credit card you signed up for in college, now you're dealing with the debt or whatever. And I was like, who's, what is this? Who are these people signing up for, you know? Um, who's giving out credit cards to who's, college students? Exactly, because it's not happening so much anymore uh in different ways. So, so yeah, that's been interesting to see and to kind of learn, like, what used to be happening, what has changed. Um And then the the change that we've watched in that time um i think where it started like you were saying was really tied up in kind of hustle culture and that mm-hmm. sort of which is kind of a separate thing because it's, a, it's it's very much tied up in like work and careers and industry yeah. but it has so much effect on our on how we approach personal finances then too and and kind of seeps into the way that we see personal finances as strictly personal and individual and Mm -hmm. so what i kind of saw i was coming into the industry at the tail end of it when we were sort of turning things around from the recession but what i saw had developed all these sort of personal journeys was people dealing with debt or uh, losing jobs or something in the wake Mm -hmm. of the recession and then just turning on that kind of hustle culture mentality and getting three jobs and then also just like it's my job to learn how to pay down my debt to learn how to fix my credit score in the wake of this gigantic systemic <laughs> problem right. that had happened the yeah. the response to individual people was all about how, what can you do to fix your individual situation and was really exactly. focused on that for a long time
1: yeah and it was you know also in line with this sort of transparency evolution of personal finance and the finance industry is also the fact that so much content is available now. And it there was content available online back during the recession. But if you just think about... The demand for that content as more data has become available, both from government agencies, from financial institutions, from all over the place. We have way more data now. We have way more voices that are being, you know, involved in these conversations. And there's more than just the one niche blog that you found that has some tips, right? This is something that. Mass media has really gotten a hold of as personal finance as a way to talk to the reader and say, Here's something that you can do. And it, you know, it doesn't always um, encompass, you know, the circumstances you were born into or the color of your skin or any of that. Mm -hmm. But there is such, you know, there was for a while such a demand for answers from people who were just so desperate to be able to get by, to be able to get back on their feet after the recession. And I think. You know, we're seeing something similar now that I that we saw during the recession was a bad thing happened and people said, I don't want to go through that again. I want it to be different. So what can I do for it to be different? For example, myself, after I got laid off at the tail end of the recession, I said, I'm not going to do that again. I'm going to work for myself. And then I realized that working for yourself is really hard and decided to go back to, you know, like corporate life. And yeah. I, I think, and whenever you have like a shock like that, an economic and emotional shock like that. People are like, how can I make sure this doesn't happen again? And so you have these like crazy waves where like people are, you know, it's like the crests and the the bottom of the curve where people are just like looking for answers and looking for comfort. Uh, mm-hmm. And I, I think that really feeds into all of this information we have, especially online now when it comes to our money. It's not just Dave Ramsey and Susie Orman on the shelf anymore in the bookstore when you go in and you look for an answer. Now it's, all of us having (laughs) tips and opinions. Absolutely.
0: And it's that search for answers, I think, is driving it so much. I mean, actually, like in the last couple of years, the search for answers is literally driving what's in um, personal finance media. So much of what's being created is for search engine optimization. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so it's literally just trying to respond to the kinds of questions that people are asking because people are desperate for the right answer because money is one it's presented as being very complex and confusing because like our economic system can be so confusing and the way mm-hmm. that a lot of companies like uh, uh in the banking industry like credit card companies and things work uh lenders is intentionally confusing and
1: yeah.
0: um and then at the same time we're told that if any if Things are not working out for us, it's our fault. And so people Mm -hmm. are just desperate to like, I need to understand what's going on in this confusing industry. And I need to know the right ways to do everything so that I do things right. Um, So that, you know, that you don't have to bear the blame for your terrible financial situation.
1: Right. And they want the answer now um, and they want it clearly written like, yes. like the like, how do I X, Y, Z, like when the drop down box comes in Google for the <laughs> result? And you're just like, where is the answer? I need the answer because people when they're looking for those answers, they're they're feeling desperate.
0: Yes. And it's it's unfortunate being on the creator side of that, because I do see some ways that we. One, we certainly feed into the desperation because we're just sort of feeding the algorithm sometimes with information yeah. because we're saying people are asking this question, questions. We have to answer it. But what becomes really difficult for me is when people are asking questions that are clearly sort of based on that belief that there is a right answer out there, like um, what is good debt versus bad debt? Like I've been yeah. tasked with writing that and answering that question. And... We want to just sort of feed the algorithm to make sure that our answer is the one that's found. And then also, we're sort of responding to people's like most base desire of just like, tell me what's good and what's bad. Like, which one should I take on and which one should I not? And an answer to a question like that is so much more nuanced and complex that if you just like strip it down to respond to an SEO, like, algorithm and to respond to people's like desperation in that moment, you're actually not serving anyone well at all. And that's the part that's been really frustrating for me as it's moved away from the individual journey, which I think actually spoke a lot more to those individual situations and nuances. Um, Mm -hmm. Even though it didn't speak to everyone and offer the answer for everyone, it was getting more into the nuances um, that as we've gone to just more like Uh, search engine driven content that we're trying to just give this broad answer for people with really complex questions.
1: Oh, my gosh. A really good example of that that's come up for me lately is the desire to write. It's not my desire. It's my editor's (laughs) desire. And I'll tell you that Um, there is a lot of search traffic around fourth stimulus check. And there's this push to cover this in some way. Why isn't there a fourth stimulus check? Is there any chance of a fourth stimulus check? And it gets complex because there are a lot of states right now. I think there are about 10 states that either have or are about to have some sort of rebate program of direct relief for their residents uh, because of gas prices or because of, you know, other aspects of the economy. And they're able to do this because they have a special budget or a state surplus or something. But it's very, like, your mileage may vary depending on where you live. You're not about to move to another state just to get an $850 rebate, right? Right. But there's this nuance of, I can talk about these state programs and how they're doing this and why they're doing this. But the question is, is there a fourth stimulus check and am I getting it? And on the surface, you think, oh, I need to cover this from a political view to explain to people the midterm elections and the coronavirus response and why you're not getting a fourth stimulus check. But you have to think about oh people are asking the question. People are still not back to normal. People are worried. People are, you know, stressed about their money. And so the fact that so many people are searching for a fourth stimulus check says a lot about our economic recovery at this point. But if I'm going to give you, the answer, like, I'm, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna be able to sugarcoat it, you know, it's like, <laughs> right, I can answer right. the question, but the but the answer is not the same as what they're asking in the question, which is how do I get help? And how do I get back on track?
0: Right? That's it. That's such a great point. And it's such a hard place to be in because um, because you know, that the answer that you have is not what they're looking for, <laughs> they yeah. just want to know like yeah. when is it coming. Um, but yeah, you're you, you got even deeper, which I think is really important to do and very easy. Like I know this especially as a freelancer because I'm not as embedded with a publication to where I'm like thinking about this kind of every day. I'm just I'm doing assignments and making a living, yeah. kind of doing it and bouncing around publications. And so sometimes you just like need to get it done. And so Mm -hmm. I don't spend as much time in that, like, deep thinking of what is the real problem that people need solved? Like, what is the real pain point that's causing them to ask this question in the first place?
1: Yeah. Um, And they bubble up in in interesting ways. You see a rapport or study and, like, all the things start to come together. And this happens, you know, when you when you get more into a niche um, you know, you're like, I would call you like a personal finance and generalist, like you can answer a lot of questions in a lot of different ways for a lot of different places, which is very valuable. Me, I'm on a team at Forbes Advisor that focuses on consumer finance and economic economic policy. And a lot of it is about like, OK, what is this government event mean for your wallet which like I love breaking down that stuff um mm-hmm. but to be able to break down that stuff I have to read like 10 times more than I'm giving the reader right because I need to have yep. an understanding and so I'm reading about all these nuances and these proposed plans and these little bits of data and and I'm just, sometimes at the end of the day I'm like we're all doomed we are doomed
0: <laughs> it is tough to have but I
1: can't- too much information (laughs)
0: right
1: yeah i can't tell the reader that i can't scare him off like that you know like Mm -hmm. the answer is like build a bunker hide in it uh and live on like rice and beans um but i'm not gonna tell you know i'm not gonna realistically tell a reader that
0: no, this is the point where we say this is this is not advice. We can, we don't know your individual situation.
1: Exactly, <laughs> Lisa your may be preparing may to build a bunker. <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah. yes, consult a financial professional. Um, that is not me. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> um, you mentioned something actually that I think is really interesting, though that brings me to the idea of hacks. Which, by the way, your book Money Hacks for everyone watching. Anyone watching the video, I think that is showing up backwards. Um. But you said that people are asking the question about like a fourth stimulus check and you're saying, I can't give people the tip to like move to a different state to get $850. And it sounds ridiculous, but sometimes like the money hacks posts are like ridiculous to that extreme. Like you'll have some actual hacks that you can do like within the next half hour. But then they're like, because we wanted it to be a really long list, will say something like, move to a new state, and you can get $850. Yeah. Um, yeah. Even ideas oh, like- a,
1: a long list, like
0: 275 yeah. hacks. Right. Yes. <laughs> mm-hmm. You, you yeah. have to reach a little bit. Um yeah. And there's a purpose to that. Um, and it used to make sense to me, I think. And I thought, it's because it kind of gets you thinking in a different way. Like, mm-hmm. even the idea of saying, like, move to a different state might- could potentially trigger you to think like oh i live in a state that has like some really kind of unfortunate policies like social policies we don't have the same kind of safety nets as they have in new york or california and maybe Mm -hmm. you know that is something to think about but i think when it really comes down to it a reader reading these kinds of lists is not seeing that because we have trained them to just like expect these to be quick quick fixes Mm -hmm. and easy, you know, the word hack is like a quick fix, and easy thing to do. Um, And you kind of, you talked about a little bit earlier about moving from that sort of like hustle culture into hacks. Like, can you talk a little bit about that and like where you see your work fitting into that?
1: Yeah. And it's, It's just, it makes me laugh that I wrote an entire book about hacks and I wrote for a publication called Life Hacker. And I'm, sometimes I sit here at the end of the day and I'm like, I'm tired. Um, <laughs> and it's, you know, I, I think everyone's looking for answers. And uh, the thing with a long list of tips or like a whole bunch of tips in a category, hacks, if you will, is that. They may not all be for you, but you're hoping something's for you. You like you, the reader, want to get something out of it and find some answers. But for me, the writer, like I'm I'm looking for things that I can convey to the biggest group of readers. Right. So if something only applies to students in Missouri who are the age of 18 to 20, like that's not going to hit a large enough segment of people for it to be worth me sharing unless I'm writing in Missouri, you know, for college students. Um, You know, it's, it's really hard to present something to someone as a quick tip or a quick answer when even in money hacks, a lot of the tips are not quick. Like they are, they involve, you know, maybe taking a second job, maybe making some big financial sacrifices, Or, like, even just things like long-term investments, like, you know, monitoring your 401k. And so we call them hacks because people want to feel like they're, like, besting the system. Like, look at me. I pulled one over on you, like Uncle Sam. But what it really is is, like, habit building. And I I think it's – habit building is a lot easier for some people than others. Like, for me – like white woman who has very little debt in the grand scheme of things, I have no debt at the moment. But like for my 20s and 30s, like I had very low debt compared to a lot of other people with student loan debt, for example. Um, You know, like I've pretty much had it made, you know, like I, um, I have a lot of privilege. And so I can approach a lot of the hacks in my own book, for instance, a lot easier than someone who didn't have that same amount of privilege. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely.
0: I think that's um, you talked about it as habit building. I think that's maybe like kind of a mindset shift or if it would even be possible, sort of a language shift that we could make around like money tips Mm -hmm. and hacks is to think about them more as experiments um, to try out, like not everything is going to work for you. Like you said, yeah. um, with these little things, um, not everything is going to be a silver bullet either. So it, it's just a matter of kind of like learning to look at your money in different ways and see mm-hmm. what kinds of steps might help you sort of f- build the relationship with money that you're looking for and build the financial life that you're looking for, um, Rather than this idea of like this one thing is going to be the savior for everyone. And sometimes lists of hacks like can be overwhelming because it feels like you should be like you start to take them all in. And it's that thing of like searching for the right rules. And so you assume because they're all listed that they are all the right rules.
1: (laughs) Um, And so it feels
0: like you need to do all of them. <laughs> so I actually really appreciate lists when there are like contradictory hacks <laughs> so that it kind of is showing like one of these might work for you. One of these might work for someone else in a completely different situation. Um, yeah. That, But I also like that you yeah. appreciate you acknowledging your privilege coming into it. Um, and I like constantly have to do the same too, especially as my financial situation has changed as I've worked through this industry. I was in a very different place when I started. Um, <laughs> and could much, yeah, could much more easily sympathize with like my five hundred something credit score. and I had been coming off of earning like, $12,000 a year as a freelancer when I started my yeah. full-time job. And I saw your eyes go, oh, my God. <laughs> and that is not enough.
1: Um, yeah. <laughs> so um, like not being able to the get... poverty line. <laughs> yes.
0: <laughs> not being able to get credit cards, like having student loan debt and just having other like credit card debt that I was just ignoring because there wasn't like I was in the place that all of our readers were in. And I constantly yeah. have to sort of take myself back to that place because I know that, that the main driver of my financial situation now is just that I'm making more money. Like I was able to pay off debt because I had more money to address it. I can get a credit card because I was able to put down, um, I was able to put down money on a secured credit card, which I couldn't have done a few years before that. And so they're just, you know, so all these things, like just because I'm making more money, I'm in a better financial situation. It's really, I can give you all the tips you want all day long, um, but we, there's just like all this, all these kind of little details that you, we need to figure out in the system first is like access to good jobs and kind yeah. of steady money to pay for the basic things like housing and healthcare and whatever.
1: Well, and part of it too is that. You know, most of us didn't have financial education in school when we were in middle school, high school. You know, I had junior achievement in seventh grade and we learned about writing checks and investing in the stock market. And like neither of those things do I do on a regular (laughs) basis. Right. It's, you know, like I do in, in a different way, but it's not as cut and dry as it was in seventh grade. And. But, you know, I didn't have anything in high school and I'm someone who did very well in school, but really tanked when it came to anything math related and just like barely was hanging on in that class. Like, please pass me for being here, like attendance credit. And if we think about if we had all had a class class in high school that taught us how to manage finances, you know, some hypothetical household budget or something. Would we have those building blocks to be able to then apply hacks and tips more easily. Um, you know, think about the traditional advice to just make a budget and stick to it, right? Okay, well When you were in school, did you learn how to do a certain arithmetic problem once and then never touch it again? Like, you practiced it over and over and over. And I think this – like, a lot of us know now that budgeting is the same way. Like, you don't just make a budget and let it run on autopilot. Like, you have to – spend time with it. There's an intimacy there. You need to be looking at your money on a regular basis, all the time, and you need to be constantly adjusting that budget to make sure that you're taking care of your changing needs over time, over the course of like weeks and months, not just years. And you know, if we have that mindset of we are learning, we are growing, we are building, you know, the blocks of our life, um, you know, that's a lot more reasonable to think about than do this one thing and it's going to fix everything. This one simple tip Is gonna change your life, you know? Yes.
0: Want more from Healthy Rich? On our website, you'll find stories that explore the ways money intersects with our culture and individual lives from writers whose voices you won't hear anywhere else in personal finance media. Soon, we'll launch live virtual classes to offer inclusive, budget free financial education that makes money better for everyone. Be the first to know when we've got something new to offer by signing up for the Healthy Rich newsletter. Head over to healthyrich.co after the episode to join us in this new kind of conversation about money. And now back to the show. Yeah, that's absolutely. I think that is the shift that I want to see in personal finance education and kind of by extension, personal finance media. And I mean, I would love to see it in the industry as a whole with like advisors and everything too, is the focus more on... like what we talk about at healthy rich is your relationship with money. I want to bring it more into this realm of personal development. Like what you are talking about is more of like, this is a daily kind of activity. And that doesn't have to mean like you're checking your bank account daily. It just means you are like checking in on your relationship with money daily. Um, And I think a big part of that is a focus more on education and understanding of finances rather than these, like, quick fixes, tips and hacks and things that we can't tell you what to do because we don't know your situation. Like, that's not just a disclaimer. Mm -hmm. It's just a reality. And even most financial advisors can't fully tell you what to do because they have one particular goal, which is to, like, help you get rich, which is not everybody's goal. Um, and, but what really was so valuable to me in addition to earning more money because I had a full-time job, um, but writing in personal finance was just learning like, here are the factors that affect your credit score. And so then I had more power to manipulate those things or to decide not to, you know, to, to make the decision of what was important to me and what was not. And those are, I I got really excited when we moved into this SEO space because I was writing a lot of that kind of stuff. And I feel like we've moved on from the, like, what is a credit score? And what, you know, what is kind of all of those basic, like, let's educate people and have moved back into answering the questions about like, how do I do this today kind of thing? Or, you know, what is the right way to, um, achieve whatever X financial goal, um, which is advice that we can't give very well in a very broad way. But information about like, here's how the system works so that you can understand it and feel empowered to make decisions within it is something that we could be doing a lot more of.
1: Yeah. And I I feel like our financial tools that we have now are sort of feeding into that like quick answer thing too. Um, And not just, you know, the education side, like It's way easier now to have insight into not only your credit report, but your credit score and, like, seeing those factors as they come into, you know, that that magic number. But I'll give you an example. A couple of weeks ago, I was looking at my credit score on, you know, one of the the sites that does that. I'm not going to name it. I'm not going to give out free advertising today. (laughs) And, and, you know, it said, you know, your score is this. I'm like, I have a very high credit score. Um, out of fear, I'm like, I'm never going back there again. Um, and it said, you know, it had tips for my credit score, and it said, you know, your score could be higher, but it's it's a little bit lower because you don't have a personal loan, like that you're paying, you don't have an installment loan that you're paying. And I'm like, well, yeah, I don't want a car note, I don't want a loan for anything. I also don't want to buy a house in this economy. Like, I am very comfortable with what. I'm doing with my finances and so I have to look at that tip and say like that's not for me but there is I think that pressure that's coming through the the media and it's coming through financial institutions and the kind of resources that they're trying to offer like there is that pressure to be this like perfect perfect money user and you can be really good without being textbook perfect you know like you're Like we're going to say a million times in this conversation, like your mileage may vary.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And there's it kind of it just comes with this assumption that you're looking at your credit score because you want it to be higher. Um, And especially if you already have a good credit score. But even if you don't, that might not be your main goal. Um, Yeah, they could be doing a lot more to. And this would completely have to change the business model because the business model relies on them referring you to those personal loans, and that's why mm-hmm. it operates that way. But yep. they they could be doing a service to people to just continue to educate you about what is affecting your score without just without even the language of talking about improving it. It's a bit... So I talk about budget culture, which is akin to diet culture, which focuses on weight loss as a main goal, as as an assumed mm-hmm. goal when we're talking about food. Um, and exercise. And I see the same thing happening in budget culture, which is when we talk about money, there's this assumed goal. If you talk about your credit score, that it needs to be higher. If you talk about debt, that it needs to be paid off and that you need to avoid gaining more of it. Um, Mm -hmm. And if you're talking about your money or your net worth or something, that it's the goal is to just get it as get as much money as possible as much income as much as net worth quickly as possible, possible. yes with yeah. as little work as possible um so yeah so it's just kind of it's there's this this feeling in personal finance that our job is to help people with all of those assumed goals without but we never really check in on like does someone with a 750 credit score need to be looking at ways to raise their credit score? Or are they fine? Could we talk about other financial goals? <laughs> could we talk about some of the things that you could do with this credit score? Like, look at this, look at here's the place that you're at in life and here are some of the things maybe you could do without taking on additional debt or you know, buying more into the system. <laughs> and yeah. there's this like lack of creativity that I see of of finding other ways to serve people with their money.
1: But wouldn't that go back to, you know, if we wanted to tell more like nuanced stories like that, wouldn't we have to go back to the one man's journey kind of coverage, which would allow for all of those nuances? Like, I feel like it would bring us full circle. And I like you can't if you can't see me on the video, like I look really excited because I'm like, wait, can't we just go back to that? Like that would allow us a little more creativity and a little more you know just being able to consider each person's individual situation and how this system fits into their life as opposed to how you can fit into the system
0: yes absolutely and how the system affects somebody's life too you know i think that's something that we um like we were talking about the privilege that we're approaching this with that is like our voices and people with even more privilege like i you know came into the personal finance space and was amazed to be surrounded by like people who had all been raised middle-class and I came from a working class like midwestern background and all of the voices I was hearing were like middle-class coastal kind of um I'm trying not to use the word elite because it's like a very like (laughs) um charged word but uh that just a lot of privilege coming in to how we're giving this advice and so it makes it no matter how hard we try it makes it impossible to to fully understand the situations of all the people that we're trying to give advice to and all the people we're trying to serve um but and so yeah i love i agree with you i love the idea of getting back to the one man's journey kind of thing one person's journey um yeah i'd love to see more even if it's not i mean we're doing that at healthy rich by publishing people's essays um, trying to sort of be a platform that shares a lot of those journeys so that it's you know the onus isn't all on one person to like mm-hmm. run a personal finance blog and then on the readers to like follow all of those stories because I think that yes. becomes um, they're still out there but it becomes these kind of disparate little like niche things that are a little harder to find um, and so I would love to see more reporting on that going back to telling people's stories I know Like a few years ago, was it Refinery29 that was doing the money diaries? Yeah. Um, Yeah. Um, Yeah. I think that was probably an attempt to do that kind of thing of like to get very granular again. And it got a lot of heat. Um, I think probably because of the people that they were choosing, the representation was like kind of off. So they were sort of missing the mark. Yeah. Um, But something like that is really showing like a person's real experience with money and telling their story. Um, I think- that there's a lot to be, it doesn't serve algorithms very well, it doesn't sell products very well, um, but it serves people, I think, very well um, in a way that we've really moved away from.
1: Yeah, and people reacted to the Refinery29 Money Diaries. I don't know if they're still doing them or not. I think, honestly, I sort of, like, blocked it out personally. I was like, I can't read any more of these that are about some, you know, 25-year-old who makes $150,000 in New York City and also bought a condo because her dad helped. Like, I like I right. can't have any more of that narrative. But it goes back to an interesting you know, sort of wrinkle in that whole situation is that you can only tell the stories that either you're looking for or that are coming to you, right? It's very easy for me in this point of privilege as a person with, you know, no debt, really steady finances to be able to say, let me tell you how I do my budget and let me tell you how I spend. Well, if I'm someone with $50,000 in debt, like I used to have, and I'm in a low paying job and I'm scrimping and saving, Am I going to be as willing to share my story with a national audience? I might be embarrassed. I may be too busy trying to get out of that situation to be able to, like, tell about it. And so it's, you know, it's, you know, it, it all depends on the stories that we're telling. And that's, like, what you're so so thoughtfully doing with Healthy Rich is like making sure we're telling people's varied stories with like varied goals so that we're not all you know I feel like every time you see it on Twitter every time there's an article that's like I paid off all my student loans by the time I was 28 and then you open the article and the secret was that daddy bailed you out or what not to like rag on dads in this interview but like you know You know the kind of parent that I'm talking about from all of these articles and it's We're very
0: we're very happy for people who have parents who can pay for things.
1: Yes. That's that is a wonderful position to be
0: in. (laughs) And also It's an amazing
1: position. And like I'm happy for you. And also how do people do it when they don't have with money? Like, I just want to know. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm just genuinely curious of how people have made this work or right. how people have made different decisions that have been just as healthy for them in the long run. You know, a success story, we click on those success stories because they have big numbers in them. But maybe they're not yes. the healthiest success story that is out there.
0: Right. And, and they also, again, subscribe to that budget culture, diet culture. Like, one yeah. right way, kind of thing. Like we don't want to read stories, apparently, um, and so and so we don't publish stories about the person who is getting by with fifty thousand dollars in student loan debt. <laughs> um, right. I could tell that story. I am not aggressively paying off my student loan debt. I'm getting I'm getting by just fine with fifty thousand dollars in student loan debt. I'm sitting on it and I'm fine with it. Um, yeah. And people don't want to hear those stories because we're afraid. I think. That we're giving bad advice because we're told of the one right way to be is debt free, high credit score, high net worth, like in uh, tax efficient investments, which is my least favorite word. (laughs) Uh So all of these things are taught that are right. And money is such a serious and important thing that it's scary from the side of the media to think that we might be giving people bad advice if we're giving them advice that says it's okay if you have debt. And I, and so, you know, even though I feel that way, I still feel like, can I tell people that because am I going to get them into trouble because of the way the system is?
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's the advice that I give people when they come to me privately outside of work, when people that, you know, I've worked with before, people that I've mentored, especially in journalism, which is a industry that um traditionally does not pay very well and they will ask me questions like should i try to pay off my student loans right now like i have enough for a lump sum while well, there's no interest yada yada and i'm like why go you gonna pay that man why are you gonna pay that man use that money while we're still in forbearance and like i will give i'll give them the least answer which is like wait hold on a second like you're getting stuck on this idea that like having a zero balance on this one account is going to make everything better but like Tell me about your emergency fund. Tell me about other goals you have, you know? And it, the Lisa answer is, tell me all these things so that I can give you advice as a friend, right? And um, on the internet, I can't exactly give the Lisa advice. That's,
0: yeah, I think that's the tough place, especially because no matter how much you want to give that advice, you don't know. You you actually do need to know the individual reader's yeah. situation, or the individual person's situation, yeah. Because if paying off debt is a really important value to them because they have high anxiety and just knowing that that number is hanging around, like, hurts them day to day, then that is an important goal that you need to move towards. And yeah. and so, yeah, we can't just take, like, the Dana set of values, which is that debt is totally fine and, and more, right. you know, morally neutral, and just say, like, go ahead and do it because I don't know what your situation is and what that makes yeah. your life look like. Um, I was that, that you use- person. Yeah. And, and that's a real, that's a real thing. I understand. I, yeah. uh, for some reason can just ignore the number. <laughs> so, um, uh, <laughs> it's been, it's been detrimental in the past, but I've found a balance with it. Um, but I want to talk about your Lisa answer because just, uh, this week I came across a post from you on LinkedIn and I thought it was really interesting in talking about just kind of showing like, the the, um, needle that you're threading working in personal finance media. So you wrote a story about um, saving money on groceries in the wake of rising inflation and shrinkflation and supply chain issues and everything that we can't stop talking about right now. So grocery prices are going up. And um, so you covered kind of the situation, like why are grocery prices going up? So we have that information and then some advice on how can you continue to save money on groceries. And then you posted the story on LinkedIn and that was where I first saw it, which is why I clicked through to the story because you said, um, I'm just gonna read it. Um, Sure, saving on groceries is easy. If you have time to compare circulars, online and app deals, if you have a car, if you have time to buy different grocery, uh, different categories of food from different chains, if you can shop during the one day a week, the deals flip, and the store honors both weeks of sale prices, if you have time to prep meals before the stuff you bought on sale in bulk goes bad, if you have a cashback credit card or a rebate app, for everyone else, it's not so easy. So I clicked through the story thinking that this was going to be a story about like why it's difficult for some people to save on groceries. And it was a story about how to save money on groceries. Yeah. So can you talk about like kind of having that, like the work that you do and then still kind of honoring, like showcasing the Lisa answer in that and how you like keep that balance, given that this is what you do professionally and you have to thread that needle?
1: Yeah, it's, it's really difficult, and, and I really love to write stories and talk to experts about sort of the the social systems and the social safety nets that we have or don't have in this country. For example, during and in this time quote unquote after COVID, I've been really interested in food access and um public assistance to afford food and stuff relating to that, you know, school lunches and how we provide access to kids and just making sure people have enough to eat and it's not about What kinds of food? It's not about, um, you know, people getting like their healthy plate, whatever. It's just like access. Like we just – I'm thinking a lot about access Mm -hmm. because in my years covering personal finance, like I am now very aware that it is not just about the decisions you make in terms of what you eat. It's where you live and your income and what's in your area and all these different factors, right? And what I want to cover what i want to write about all the time is the systems that we have the holes that exist and what happens when like the best laid plan that a nonprofit or a government agency has like doesn't go right right like how do you how do you serve americans as best you can in in a time where you know things aren't perfect but traditionally i will say my my food access stories during and after the pandemic have not gotten as much traffic as the stories that have actionable tips or that are a little more positive in tone. So, you know, there's a lot of information out there. People have a lot of choices in what they read. They don't always want to click on the sob story. Uh, They don't always want to click on the bad news. So, yeah, I am always threading that needle. And in this particular story about groceries, I was trying to find – I was trying to provide the tips that had, like, the least friction – um thinking about looking at sales and tailoring your diet to sales and what you can buy at a lower price. Um you know, switching to generic products when you can. Um they don't like to call them generics anymore. They like to call them store labels or, you know, fancy whatever. The cheaper stuff. Sure. Switch to the cheaper <laughs> stuff. Um and you know, like look for assistance. Uh, look for assistance if you can't afford food like those were the tips that I felt the least bad about giving readers. I don't feel like if you are someone who is struggling to feed your kids, that you're going to have time to go on an app, look for a cashback rebate, match it up with what you're going to get at what store and jump through all these hoops. You know, someone like me who... Is single, lives in a household of one, like I have more flexibility in going and finding deals if I want to access a deal. Someone who has transportation limitations, is working, you know, a a job where they don't have a lot of free time or is working more than one job, who has children, who has adults in their household that they're caring for, they don't have all the flexibility that I have. And so I think every time I'm giving tips, I'm also thinking about all of the people who can't take those tips. Um, And it's why we give so many tips is because hopefully there's something in there that's new for you um, that maybe you can apply to your life. But there's just a reality that there's, you know, for every person that can use a hack, there are two people who can't. And that's not based on any math of reality. That's just like my estimate.
0: Yeah, absolutely. We we wouldn't, we don't, we know we don't want to dive into math here. So
1: <laughs> Yeah, don't. <laughs> don't establish don't that, that that's not anything. where we're going.
0: Yes. That's um, not my Absolutely. Yeah, that's, that's great. So I think I appreciate, I appreciated seeing that post because I think it sort of reveals the thought process that's going on behind the scenes as you yeah. craft this story. Because you're trying to, you're trying to meet people where they are. And that's really difficult because where they are is having all of this stuff thrown at them from from one side in the news media about like how bad the economy is and how bad inflation is and how it's going to, you know, and how much it's going to hurt their lives. And then on the other side, in the personal finance space of how they need to be making all the right decisions and how they shouldn't be overspending on groceries. And then, you know, and then you get to the reality and you're thinking, you know, what does it mean to overspend on groceries when the price has just gone up? So, you know, and nobody's talking about like, maybe you need to adjust those um, household budget lines that you, that you created because it's no longer realistic to restrict yourself to that. You're like not going to be able to buy enough food this, this month if you do that. So Yeah, I I appreciated seeing that, um, seeing sort of your thought process behind that. So I hope that you keep doing that. Um, It's like, it's not a commentary necessarily on the work that we're doing. And that's kind of how I feel sometimes too, is that I don't want to just come out and say that like all these sites that I write for are doing a terrible thing because of the kind of content that we're writing. Because I don't think, I think that we all truly are, like, do actually have a goal of improving people's lives financially and improving their relationship with money. Um, but we are just mired in this culture that puts up a lot of barriers to doing that and makes it very difficult to connect with readers in a way that we need to, to actually serve them.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, um, when I was writing for Life Hacker, um, and, you know, the point of Life Hacker as a website is to provide people with like news they can use and, you know, actionable items. But we also sort of had this saying that we used from time to time, and it was sometimes the hack is knowledge. Sometimes the best advice you can give someone is a greater understanding of why something works the way it does, or why this might be a difficult thing to do or overcome or, or, or that sort of thing. And so I do that a lot when I'm writing for Forbes Advisor now, where I do have a lot of leeway in what I write. But at the end of the day, it's about giving the reader, like sending the reader away with more than they came in with when they hit on my article, right? Like give them something new, give them something fresh. And it may not be the tip that's going to solve every problem in their life. But if they have a slightly greater understanding of why things are the way they are or how they can maybe make some changes in their life or some small adjustment small adjustments that mean something in the long run, like that I've done my job. Um, and I I have to remember that doing a good job does not mean having some like breakthrough tip every time I write. It's increasing, you know, you're increasing people's knowledge in degrees, not just sending them like from zero to 180 in one page view, you know, because you can't, Absolutely. you can't maintain that. It's all about the smaller changes.
0: Definitely. I love sometimes the hack is knowledge. I'm going to write that yeah. down and keep it next to my desk as I'm writing. I think that that is that is really valuable advice for yeah. people receiving advice um, from personal finance media and, and the industry as a whole. And also for those of us creating content and teaching and advising people in this space.
1: Like it's just about like just like you said, like meeting people where they are and being like, hey, did you know Um and people are going to be like, oh, oh, and like that's that's when you when you know you're doing the best you can, you know, is when people are having those little light bulb moments over and over, and then they're adding up. That makes sense for their life. Yes,
0: absolutely. Um, I that's that's a fantastic note to end on. I think let's keep going out and and providing those little light bulb moments for people in the best ways that we can. Um, and and I also want to assure everyone that. We are continuing to do the best we can <laughs> in the face of, of uh, what is going on in the industry. So uh, keep bearing with us and, and telling us what you need and we will we'll, we'll keep doing it better.
1: Yes, exactly. Yes. Yeah. Tell, us, tell us everything. <laughs>
0: yes. All right. Well, thank you so much, Lisa. I really appreciate you taking the time um, and digging into the work that you do and, uh, and this industry.
1: Thank you. Thank you so much for having me and for doing the work that you do.
0: Do you know someone who could use a broader perspective on work and money? Share this episode to invite them into the conversation. Head to healthyrich.co for more information from today's episode. And while you're there, sign up for the Healthy Rich newsletter to be the first to know when we drop something new. And remember our motto, work should be fun and money should be easy. Thank you for being part of our quest to make money better for everyone.